Sun goes down, sun comes up. Days can drown in a plastic cup in this town. In this town. In their ever-present pursuit of entertainment, education, and some adjective to be named later, the Homestar Army proudly presents Trek West Five, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and pretty much whatever else we want to talk about. Trek West Five is brought to you in part by RocketWebDesign.com. Custom web design at template website prices. Designs by dd.blogspot.com. Your online home for all your digital scrapbooking needs. Need a home along the Wasatch Front? Contact Lisa DeBagere with Kirkham & Friends Real Estate. No one will work harder for your home. And thehomestarmy.com. Blogging to the world since 2004. Your hosts for Trek West 5 are Joey and Peter. Good evening and welcome to podcast 126. It's morning. <laughs> it's not evening. They don't know by that. By any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine. Good morning or good afternoon since it's past noon. Okay. Um, I'm Peter. And I'm Joey. <laughs> <laughs> We're never going to get an opening straight in the, for the rest of this podcast, are we? <laughs> Uh, it's never been professional yet, so why try? <laughs> uh, welcome back, everyone, and uh, we're pleased that you could join us on this special Saturday edition yeah. of Trek West Five. Um, of course, you're really not going to know the difference, but uh, <laughs> nonetheless, it is special for Joey and I. Um, uh, good week, Joey. Busy, really busy week. Really busy week. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it was. Uh, <laughs> I think it was kind of a, a fun week for me. Because you spent um, the week playing with your new toy. <laughs> yes. So uh, at work we were supposed to be, um, for the month of, like three months of December and a little bit into January, we were going to work for this goal of uh, being able to do some upsells for our clients. And if we reached a certain number, we were going to get a you know Incentive. monetary kickback and also a little prize. So the prizes were a Wii, a Kindle Fire, and an iPod Touch. Or. 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 <laughs> the and would have been awesome. That would have been a really good prize. Um, and so, anyway, I chose the iPod Touch because I don't know that I'd really needed a, a, a touch. Plus, I've never really had an MP3 player. I had that one of yours, but that died like a year or so ago. Um, so I, I got it. I've been playing around with it, sending out text messages, downloading a couple of things here and there. In general, not doing any work. <laughs> so it's good that work gave it to you as an incentive. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so I, I've been pretty uh, pretty excited about that. Um, otherwise, it's just pretty much a, a you know normal week for me. Nothing crazy, nothing bad. We're, we're all good around here. Um, do we have any announcements to talk about? Uh, just that we only have one more podcast left in Trek West Five or in Babylon Five. Yes. And then, if we want to do a Trek West Five wrap up, I, I think that I think we're going to do it. Okay, I, I think let's just announce it now. Let's do it. I, it's clear we saw some some people show some interest on the Facebook uh, group page, so we'll take those questions as well as any others that anybody wants to submit in, and we'll just do it as part of like the Babylon Five wrap up. Yes, if you know, just kind of do that towards the end or something like okay. that. 
I think it'll be good. We just, we can just go quick with it. I don't think we need to draw it out in something crazy. Okay. So I I, I say let's not fight it. Let's go <laughs> go with the crowd. I just tried to throw some ideas out there to give people you know a sense of what we were looking for because we we just feel like it'd be too hard to try and analyze them along the same lines yeah. as what we've always done. Yeah. Series wrap up. Yeah. Or, or Agreed. Season wrap ups. Agreed. So. And the father of our podcast was nice enough to throw in a few different submissions. So, John, welcome. Uh, you can say hi if you want to, or... Hello. Did you guys do the soundcheck on me yet? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's his Delenn speaking voice right there. Hey, over there. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> uh, anyway, so we would, aside from, I mean, we'll throw in our two cents, but we'd really love to hear what you guys have to say. So, any of those questions that got put up on the Facebook page... Answer them yourself. Send yep. them in. We, we want to know what you guys have to say. So uh, um, definitely don't just rely on us. Okay. Um, Facebook Find of the Week? Facebook Find of the Week. There were some good submissions. There, there were a lot of stuff submitted this week. I know what my personal favorite was. Well, let's hear what your favorite was. <clears throat> I loved the Epica. Okay. I am definitely going to go out and see if I can find that album um, and, and, and buy it. And it. I just I really enjoyed the sound, even though that YouTube stuff was kind of bad quality. Yeah, it it was still really good music. I I loved it, so I'm hoping that the rest of it ends up being really cool too. I, I also really enjoyed the the Epica music, but I think I'm actually going to give the award to uh, Carbonite Man's. I'm post. I'm calling for my new Android phone with oh, unlimited gosh. data. <laughs> that was so awesome. <laughs> I love that too. That, that great choice. I, I, I great laughed. Choice. I, I mean, I laughed out loud, which I don't always do at some of this stuff. <laughs> that was super funny. It was. So good uh, good choice there, uh, Carbonite Man. Um, yeah, I don't know what prize he's supposed to be getting, but we'll send I, we'll something. Have, we'll have to look it up. We'll send something. I need to make a little chart that I just print out and bring with me or something. <laughs> <laughs> this is where everyone's at. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, let's see here. Brainy's Nook of yeah, Darkness? Yeah, Brainy's Nook of Darkness. Okay. He begins, What's up, Brain Nation? Happy 2012 Druplets for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> what the heck? Can you elaborate on what that means there, John? No, I can't. That's the beauty of it. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it so much. Um, well, dudes, in, in deference to the valediction of our Babby 5 final season, we return to ideas regarding the creation of mythology. It is not hard to miss JMS's predilection for mythos infusion in a metaphysical sort of way. Throughout the entire series, the enduring myth of the box as the galaxy's humble warrior savior prince was constantly woven into the yarn. Now, although the box and President Bartlett and Captain Picard are all totally rocking TV legends, it's hard to argue their ranking within the pantheon when considering... The Doctor. Oh, Additionally, <laughs> there <Really>? are <laughs> all right. Got it. There are there are a few symbols in genre TV that are as pervasive and elegant and elegant as the TARDIS. And like every great epic adventurer, the Doctor and his spaceship have uh, have a love story that spans and transcends. 36 seasons, almost 50 years of BBC sci-fi craftsmanship. The reboot is been, has been propelled by the brilliant writers Russell T. Davis and now Steve Moffat. 
So as you dudes mentioned, the great Neil Gaiman wanted to write an ep that, and he did in season 5, or 35, depending on how one keeps the score. <laughs> His rendering features the anthropomorphication of the TARDIS as a hot woman in The Doctor's Wife. If one cares about spoilers, then get out. Or stay, because we won't re reveal any major story arc points, maybe one or two, but it's fine. Now, this commentary covers info leading up to season four, uh, excuse me, leading up to episode four, season five of the Doctor series reboot. So, if you don't want to be spoiled at all, stop listening now. <laughs> or in Joey's case, you can just, you know, go to sleep right now since you don't care anyway. <laughs> The Doctor's Wife by Neil Gaiman. So while cruising through deep space, the Doctor hears a knock on the TARDIS's door. A weird distress call leads them to this planet called The House. Rory asks where they are, and the Doctor says, Imagine a bubble universe with tiny bubbles outside of it. Well, it's nothing like that. Their location is actually a creature planet that lures in powerful entities to ingest their energy. And while the house was preparing to digest the doctor's time vessel, the TARDIS's energy got displaced into this woman. Trying to adjust to the new perspective of linear and uh, corporal existence, I'm assuming he meant corporeal, um, or maybe I should have just pronounced it correctly. He may have spelled it correctly. Maybe he ranked the existence. <laughs> um, Up from private. <laughs> she learns things like, Biting is excellent because it is like kissing, only there is a winner. <laughs> and just to throw off a few more super cool sci-fi caveats, we have these two characters, whom are like Frankenstein caretakers of the planet, as well as an ood. And I think the Ood are just awesome aliens. I agree with that. They're great. No idea what an Ood is. So this episode is rife with spacey, wacy details and timer-wimey texture. <laughs> <laughs> right out of the starting gate, the TARDIS woman introduces herself as sexy. Because that's what the Doctor calls her when they are alone. And I think Picard secretly had a pet name for the Enterprise D as well. <laughs> Any <laughs> Anyhow, sexy is used to uh, is used to existing in all points of time. So she is perceiving a lot more than linear time, and she predicts that the Doctor would discover that many other of his Time Lord brethren have fallen to the house's lure. And meaning to protect them, the Doctor locks Rory and Amy in the energy-less TARDIS. But that's bad because when they uh, because they are now being physically hunted by the House in this creepy cerebral corridor chase sequence, which becomes the B story. So the Doctor and Sexy troll through the junkyard planet to find more TARDIS parts. There is a great ending, and overall, a great story is told. In standard Doctor fashion, he allows the bad guy the chance to redeem himself at the end. The Mythos of the Doctor This is just a great sci-fi episode, as it tells a uh, space adventure story while incorporating metaphysical touches. 
Um, Gaiman employs the metaphor of the TARDIS, time and relative dimensions in space, to more deeply illustrate some of the Doctor's core philosophies. In countless episodes, the Doctor defends every creature's right to be alive. He never kills anything if he can avoid it. Even when he is uh, staring at the man who just shot his daughter in The Doctor's Daughter, the Doctor at this time, played by David Tennant, has the chance to kill this man, but he stares his peevish man down through grief-stricken, timeless eyes as he simply and powerfully says, I would never. Do you understand me? I would never. He would never kill anything without giving it a chance in the movie. Um, giving it a chance. In the movie, The End of Time, the old guy says to the thousand-year-old doctor, We must look like ants to you. The doctor beholds him compassionately and resolutely replies, I think you look like giants. The Time Lord is constantly amazed at how people tend to write off their lives as ordinary, and, in a sense, that is his mission, to celebrate the extraordinary nature of all life in all facets, to help people understand how to celebrate life. His most powerful weapon is his compassion, as he proves in Davis's uh, epic episode, The Last of the Time Lords. His archenemy, the Master, cannot stand to hear the sound of the Doctor forgiving him what he has done. It breaks down the Master. And in that same episode, Martha, in fact, creates the mythology of the Doctor herself. She travels the world for one year, using only the power of storytelling as the world learns of their Time Lord protector. The entire planet unites in a single thought to amplify a psychic satellite network. With a resolute prayer, the world simultaneously thinks of the Doctor, and he is freed from the Master's bondage and empowered. Interdependency at its best. So, in this episode of The Doctor's Wife, upon realizing how it feels to be alive in a single body, Sexy is awestruck as she remarks how, like flying... Like the flying blue box, people are also bigger on the inside. I love this message. What we are capable of is greater than who we are. If one has not watched the Doctor Who reboot, it is a disservice to oneself. It is truly an uplifting show. The Doctor and Sexy continue to travel through time and space, picking up strays and saving the day. Sci-Fi 9, TV 8. Um, now, I I really enjoyed that episode, but the the one where he talks about the master, that was a terrible episode. <laughs> I'm sorry if you enjoy that one, um, <laughs> but the doctor's wife is a good one. I really enjoyed it, and that quote where she's like, <laughs> you know, biting is like kissing. Someone wins. <laughs> I, I I laughed when that uh, came out. So, um, anyway, that was. Uh, a big one, and uh, thanks for sending it in. Yeah, Brandy. absolutely. I still think you should give it a chance. I've given it a chance, and, and to be honest, I actually <laughs> with, with me the, the reboot was not terrible. Well, the episodes that I watched through the reboot weren't bad. Uh, some of the older Doctor Who stuff oh. is <laughs> awful. It's like close your eyes, bad. Okay. But you know the reboot. There have been some good episodes. It just it hasn't ever really 
grabbed me. The character of Doctor Who frustrates me because you've got a guy called a Time Lord, and he doesn't use time travel to solve his problems. <laughs> that irritates me. It's a different idea of time, sir. I know. It's just frustrating. But I will say that the Matt Smith Doctor, when um, the new guy started writing, uh, he starts to play around with time a little bit more. Okay. You know, he wasn't as standoffish Moffat, as Davis was. Yeah, Moffat. Uh, I, I have to say, I love Moffat's take on Sherlock Holmes. So. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize he had done that. And I haven't watched any of the Sherlock stuff. Yeah, you got to watch the new Sherlock. It is okay. excellent. Okay, Joey, let's do uh, Culture Corner. Uh, for the Culture Corner this week, we're going to have On a Pale Horse, the first book of the Incarnations of Immortality by Piers Anthony. <laughs> so this is a, it's a series of eight books the premise of each book is but we're actually going to focus on the first book but I just want to lay out the premise first you have certain forces in the universe death, time, fate nature, war good, evil and night oh, not earth, wind, fire, water no, no. dang it <laughs> and those forces for the most part just run on their own but Every once in a while, something happens where an intelligent being needs to make a decision. So, for example, someone is dying, someone is dead. The first book, On a Pell Horse, is about the incarnation of death. So, the universe picks people to play the role of that force. And so, a human being actually fulfills the office of death. And he goes around to people who are dying and helps... And harvest their soul. Life. Harvest their soul, literally. <laughs> Helps them depart from this life. Uh, it, it's one of the more interesting and amusing parts of the book is um, magic and technology are equally available. And the premise that they actually give, that he actually gives in the book is Isaac Newton, for the first half of his life, was a scientist, and all the things that he did for science, he did. And then the last half of his life, he was a magician. <laughs> and he actually did just as much to advance magic as he did to advance science. Nice. And, and, you know, they actually say, well, you know, there's nothing that magic can do that science can't do. It's just that the mechanism by which they happen okay. might be different. Sure. Um, and so the, the first book here on a pale horse is about a guy who becomes the office of death. And the way, the way each office changes hands over the years depends on the role that's being filled. So in the case of death, you actually become death by killing the current Grim Reaper when he comes to get you. <laughs> so the main character purely accidentally kills death. <laughs> you know, he's, he's actually about to commit suicide. He, th he thinks, oh, my life is over. I'm worthless. He's got the gun in his mouth. He's pulling the trigger. Death walks in the room. And as a startled reaction, he points the gun at death instead of in his mouth, <laughs> kills death. <laughs> um, and then the, the rest of the book is about him going, going on, learning the role of death, and he decides that as a death, what, his, what he's going to bring to the office is that he will talk to his, talk to his clients. They actually refer to them as clients. He says, you know, there's no reason that death needs to be a bad thing. It's the end of the journey. It's a transition to something else. I'm here. Let me help make help you make this as comfortable as I can for you. Do you have a last wish that maybe I could fulfill if it's within reason? Uh, so, for example, one guy, he wants to hear a particular church hymn. You know, he's like, oh, this is my favorite church hymn, and I haven't heard it in years. Can you, hear, can you sing it for me? He's like, well, I'm not going to sing it, but I'll go find someone else and bring them here to sing it for you. So he goes down to a church and grabs 
some you know gospel singer brings her back to sing the song uh, the the course of the series over all the books the premise is that world war three is coming any day now and when that happens everyone on earth is going to die and neither god nor satan know neither you know, god who fulfills the role of good and satan who fulfills the role of evil they don't know if the world were to end now who would win who would have the most souls is the majority of humanity good or evil we're just not sure and so the incarnations in between them death and nature and these other ones they are actually trying to postpone the apocalypse they're doing everything they can within their particular sphere of influence to postpone the, the death of all humanity until there's a clear victor okay so the first five books are about the five forces then there's two <laughs> books about uh, there's a book about Satan and a book about God and how the people that came to fill those roles got those roles and then the, there's a, an eighth book that was just recently published which I have not read which is the force of night which I, again I can't speak to it at all but apparently the actual the coming of night is a has an incarnation now tell you what I'll do it okay so what happens is <laughs> the sun goes down okay so the guy who controls the sun it's actually a woman who controls the sun well I know it's a woman who controls night too so well they're controlling <laughs> everything uh, and then uh, night shows up actually dressed as a knight <laughs> it's a pretty short book it's more of a pamphlet really <laughs> you know you say that, but Piers Anthony loves puns enough that I would not put it past him. <laughs> Sweet. To have her show up dressed as a K-N-I-G-H-T. <laughs> but uh, I, I really enjoyed these books. I read them when I was, except for the eighth book, which got published about two or three years ago. I read the the, the original seven books when I was in high school, and I give it a thumb up. I, I really enjoy these books. Okay, Awesome. Well, it sounds intriguing, so... The, the interesting thing is that over the course of exploring the roles, so like the role of death, he, he actually is really talking about the value of life and what you do with your life and how that matters. And, you know, the process of letting go of our loved ones and things like that. He actually really explores some complex themes in these books in the guise of writing science fiction about, you know, a particular role. That's a nice thought. I, I'm... I I could see myself reading something like that. So, good job. Thanks. Okay, uh, let's move on to episodes then. We okay. are going to cover episodes 21 through 22 of Babylon 5 Season 5. Yeah. Our final episodes. Um, so, we'll go ahead and start off with episode 21, Objects at Rest. Joey? The Interstellar Alliance headquarters moves to Minbar, and Lanier makes a terrible decision. Yeah, okay. Um... I didn't love this episode, and it really seemed to me like a, a goodbye. Like, hey, we're saying later to all of the you know well, major so, characters. We're all splitting up. Yeah. So here, let me let me go to the script book here. And just so we're clear, I didn't hate it either. Sure. I just sort of like eh, okay, it's got to so, happen. So it, it, I see this as like the last episode that we got off of um, the West Wing. Right. We're just kind of a neutral thing. Just like, okay, here's what's happening with everybody. Right. And, and so we have to remember that this is actually the last episode filmed. We, right. We're, we're going to see Sleeping in right. Light, but that was actually filmed a full year ago. Correct. So this is the, this is for the characters and for the actors and, and cast. This is the final episode, right? 
So Straczynski talks about how, as he finished writing this episode, he realized, this is it. This is the last episode. I have spent the better part of 10 years of my life on this idea. So he'd spent all this time out there in Hollywood pitching it and trying to get somebody to pick it up and, you know, drafting different uh, treatments and things like that, trying to get this show made. And then he spent about five years doing that. And then they did, and then they spent five years actually making the show. So this has been a full decade of his life. And he realized, I should get out there on stage and be part of... Oh, I thought you were going to say, ah, and I have nothing to show for it. <laughs> no, so he, he, he hurried out onto the stage and he says... I was in my office as the final shot approached, dealing with phone calls from TNT when my assistant barreled in. They're ready for the last shot, she said. I hurried out into stage A and for the first time saw the crowd of people now assembled for the end. All of them in costume. The symmetry and the journey was now complete. After making Babylon 5 for five years, we had at last entered that world itself. There were no outsiders, no accountants, no crew, no cast. Everyone was in a Babylon 5 costume, saying goodbye. Their goodbyes echoed in the words of Sheridan and Delenn, Bruce and Mira. All the lines were blurred. We had become the show, and the show had become us. For that one shining moment, we were not on a stage in Sun Valley. We were on Babylon 5, and we were there together. It seemed as if everyone had smuggled in cameras. You couldn't walk more than a few <laughs> feet through a crowd without getting nailed by a drive-by hugging. I noticed Peter Jurassic and Bill Moomy out of prosthetics, dressed as merchants, hanging out near the bar at the end of the Zocalo. <laughs> Everybody was talking. There were tears. It was our <laughs> finest moment. It was a triumph, and it was the end. John Flynn's voice cut through the blur of voices. Okay, everybody, settle down. Silence fell. Then John Copeland called, Action! The tube doors opened, and Sheridan and Dylan stepped out into the Zocalo and said their goodbyes. She couldn't make it through the first take, so we did it again. And we did it again with the close-ups, then we did it again for safety. I looked to John, and his eyes were wet. He didn't want to say the last cut, so he shot the scene again. <laughs> then he looked to Flynn. We've got it, his eyes said. We're done. Walk away. He called cut. The first assistant director called out, cut, print, checking the gate, which is always done at the end of a scene to ensure that the film went through the camera's gate correctly. There was a moment of silence as she conferred with the camera operator, who finally nodded. That's a wrap, John Flynn yelled, and the place exploded. It was right and proper that Babylon 5... Should end with an explosion. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> <laughs> Someone had to. I think he's being figurative. Oh, dang. <laughs> I was thinking, oh my gosh, like how, how many people Everyone died in that there. explosion? <laughs> Boom. <laughs> what do you think? They've never done anything else in their careers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh,. So in the beginning, I really enjoyed Sheridan's um, comment where he says, "Look, I just want to leave here quietly. Please don't do a yes. party, don't do anything. Just let me leave here quietly." That's how I prefer to go as well. I don't want to make a big deal about things. And a few of the jobs I've had, I've just told my boss, "Look, don't tell anybody. I mean, if you have to, yeah, go ahead. But just, I, I just want to leave. I don't want to. I don't want a party. Don't want anything big. Don't want." card coming around nothing don't want to destroy the company as I head out the door <laughs> <laughs> well in that case I think we all kind of saw that one coming um, so I, I appreciated him him saying that yeah um, it was nice we have Talon coming in to take Jakar's place yeah I that's that cool was, I that, think that's a good choice that was nice yeah um, I like the way they do the uh, he's watching the, the mm. recording 
and then they kind of pan around and they have Jakar standing next to him, not looking at him. You know, as he's we see what Jakar recording the message basically, right? And they're standing side by side. I thought that was a cool way to shoot that scene. I really enjoyed it. I agree. I agree. I wonder. I know they had to do the fade in at some point, but I wonder if they would have cut it uh, cut away to, so that it was literally Jurassic and whoever, or sorry, um, uh, uh, Jakar. I wanted to say Jakar and Talon, so that they were like both in the same scene together, like when he was doing that. I hope they did anyway, and that they just didn't do a cut in. Yeah, I I just would have preferred that. Um, okay, bad idea. Let's take all of the troublemakers, all of the people that are the whiners, <laughs> and put them in control. That is the worst idea ever. Well, I don't know that whiners. Uh, I, I've wondered about this. When you listen to that guy, I know he sounds like a whiner. He does sound like a whiner. Um, I you know I I just I choose to have enough faith in Garibaldi as a person to say. He actually looked at what they were saying, and there was some substance to what they were saying. Because I'm yeah. sure there are more whiners in the company than that. True. And he picked the ones that there actually was some substance to what they were saying, and hopefully he will mentor them in how to, you know, <laughs> although I don't know that Garibaldi has On how skill. to whine himself, yeah. <laughs> um, I felt bad for the people on the terrace during Delenn's speech. She was not projecting her voice at all. <laughs> it was... Oh, yes, I miss you all, and I, there is no word for goodbye. It was amplified for the people down there. <laughs> it was, she was whispering that thing. You know, we've seen over the course of the series many times that characters who are kind of mumbling or whispering, and everyone seems to hear them just fine. I think there's some special acoustics to the way Babylon 5 was set up. Or, or, or when they're like trying to have a private conversation, and they're shouting it yeah. out. <laughs> Don't tell anyone! It's a secret! <laughs> um, Alright, I am not a fan of what they do with Lanier. I don't know if you are, I don't know if you're okay with it, but I am annoyed that they that Lanier allows Sheridan to die. Or, you know, what he thinks is. Even if he just runs back, you know, I I just cannot agree with what Straczynski did to Lanier. I am not a fan of that at all. And I realize I'm probably not the only one. I know you're going to come back and say, oh, you know, but look, he's having to really deal with these emotional things. I get it. You know, he's pining for Delenn. I, I, I just don't buy that in Lanier at all. Um, I don't care for it because I love the character of Lanier so much. So do I. He was awesome. But I find it believable I, 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 for me, so I'm trying to I'm trying to dis, trying to discern what you were going for there. I, I, I didn't enjoy it, but I found it believable. I believe people can do that. I find it hard to believe Lanier falls that hard. Okay. Okay. Um, let's see here. Oh, I've got some questions. So they arrive on Minbar. Yeah. Londo's there, and he gives them the urn. The urn. Now, Delenn, we can kind of see, she sort of sees the Keeper. Yeah. She can sort of pick up on it for some reason. Um, now, maybe that I should say this. For, no, I, I guess I shouldn't. We see that there's a Keeper inside the urn. Yes. D does the Keeper end up on their kid? Yes. How do we know that? Novels. 
novels. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I I thought I had remembered at some point, like, when I first watched it, you had told me, like, oh, Londo, you know, he eventually comes along and says, oh, don't let the kid put this on on a 16th no. birthday. No. Like, I kept waiting for that scene to happen. <laughs> and then the episode ends, I'm like, I am so confused. Maybe this is in the next one. And then it wasn't in the next one. So... The Keeper actually goes on their son, and Veer finds out about the whole thing, and ends up killing the Drock that is controlling the Keeper, which also kills the Keeper. Right, okay. And so their son, you know, is able to come back from it. So does Veer not end up with a Keeper on him, then? No. How does that happen? <laughs> you have to read the books. No, it, it's because they, they have a certain number of Keepers that a Drock can make, if I remember correctly. Sure. Why not and just get another Drock to come in? Well, it's, I don't know why they don't do that. But the one who is basically controlling mm-hmm. Londo and David Sheridan, he, he's out of keepers. So he had the one that was on the Prime Minister. He had the one on Londo. He has the one on David. And Garibaldi and Vera actually work together, and they find out about the whole Drock and the keepers and everything. And Vera, in the end, ends up killing the Drock who put the keeper that's on David Sheridan. Boy, he's a real murderer. He just likes to... He's bloodthirsty, that Veer. Uh, okay. He's a patriot. <laughs> I liked... Uh, I enjoyed Sheridan's letter to his child. I thought it was nice. And I enjoyed the, the quote where he said, Home is wherever your passions take you. Yeah. You know, don't get tied into this, you know, idea of... You have to, you know... This, this one place is really home. You know, make home wherever it is that you're passionate about doing and being. So I, I like that. You know, uh, I've been thinking, I, I think about this frequently, about how to leave a legacy for your kids in case something ever happens to you, and how to help them understand who you were, and give them the benefit of your presence when you can't actually be there. Um, and the best idea I've seen so far, I haven't done this yet, but I'm I'm seriously entertaining the idea. I saw it on a commercial for Google Apps a while back. And it was where a dad had started emailing. He had started an email account oh, for his sure. daughter. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. I've seen that commercial. And then he emails it on a regular basis, just saying, "Hey, you know, a little note. Here's what happened today, kind of thing." Almost like a, a journal for her, written by him. Right. Um, and I thought, boy, what what a great thing, you know, when you get when she gets to be 18, you hand her the email account, and you say, "Here, you know." I've been emailing you every day for you know, your whole life or whatever. That'd be kind of cool. It'd be kind of neat to go back. I don't know that. that I would go every day. But well, I'm uh, just saying, you know, whatever whatever your interval you're doing it at. Okay. Um, I hope you weren't thinking, let's no. do it every day, because that would be... Well, even lot. if you just made a, a brief note of, you know, something funny you said today, son or daughter, or, you know, what you told me about, you know, because every day when I come home, my kids have something. They have some story for me every day. You know, I thought, you know, you could capture those real quick and put them in there. And I don't know. I've heard some of Beth's stories. I'm not that impressed. <laughs> <laughs> well, but no, she can see as she gets older the evolution, where she came from. <laughs> like, look, this is what I had to put up with for so many years. You owe me. <laughs> um, all right, I don't have anything else to talk about. Do you? Um, I, I'm liking uh, Tess Holleran, actually, as the chief of of security or whatever I can't remember what the title is number one Garibaldi's role Um, I I find her much more believable in that role than Garibaldi because she ran that Mars Underground sure yeah 
I, I'm okay I, with I'm, it. I'm actually enjoying her in that character. Yeah, I enjoy that. And uh, I I like Londo's attempt to say goodbye as much as he can. You know, he's like, "Isn't there any alcohol around here?" Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, you know, I, I feel for the guy. You know, how would it be to be in that situation where you're trying to communicate, but you're against your will? You know, being forced to do something like that, it'd be a tough spot to be put in. It would be. It would be. Uh, okay, let's do uh, Brainy Smurf. He says, objects at rest. So Garibaldi's method for choosing a board of directors is very similar to JMS's method for casting Jerry Doyle. <laughs> well, you are clearly terrible at what you do, so you're hired! <laughs> this episode is weird because the focus is on two of my favorite characters in the show, Talon and Lanier. The scene where Jakar passes on the torch to to Talon is just great. Talon has been only part of a few Babby Five scenes, but they were all super awesome. Drinking OJ with the box at the bar, waiting for Jakar to return from Centauri Prime by standing outside his quarters, demonstrating the discipline of a soldier and the tenacity of a monk. In a sense, throughout the series, Jakar may have been preparing Talon to step up to the plate and lead the Narn into their next great age. And then the Lanier stuff happens. As was previously stated and echoed by Joey, Lanier's plummet into emo is not believable and entirely unacceptable. He is supposed to em exemplify the great noble boneheads whom aspire to serve others above all other things. And the very reason for joining the oblong sharks in the first place was to live in service to a cause, a cause greater than one's own individuality. And so I am forced to conclude that from what we have seen, rangers are terrible at celibacy. <laughs> <laughs> the episode ends nicely, and uh, as I always love a speech from the box. Sci-Fi 4, TV 6. You know, along that point, I just want to clarify, with Lanier, while I find it believable that people do those kind of things. It was the the dramatic shift from just two episodes ago where Lanier was to where he is now. I think that I think I think they tried to squeeze too much of that story in at the end. I, yeah. It should have developed more over the course of the whole series. Yeah, I I, I agree with that totally. Um, okay, we have the Bobs. Awesome. Welcome back, Bobs. Hello, gentlemen. This is SpongeBob writing from Bob's email. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for the long hiatus from contributing to the podcast, but I'm here at the end like a good Babby Five fan. Our most noble and beloved Bob says to tell you he liked the end. It was appropriate and good. As a woman and a wife of a wonderful man, I have to say that I didn't like it on behalf of Delenn. I would rather a noble and painful death in my arms rather than my supposedly deceased husband off gallivanting with strange creatures from beyond the rim. But alas. <laughs> and yes, Peter, I did care about Marcus dying when he really grated on my nerves the way he did it. And Susan, ugh. The way that whole storyline went made me angry and so irritated with JMS and the whole show, really. But I digress. We've all moved on from that, and I've had my chance to make my feelings known. This is not the time nor the place to discuss Season 4. On with the episodes and then the season wrap-up. 
uh, episode 21. Well, it all started off nice and normal. All the wrap-ups and goodbyes and handovers you would expect. And then it's like JMS has trouble has just started a whole new show or season. It's not wrapped up at all. Sigh. Still, an excellent episode, if not a little wistful at the end, where Captain becomes what uh, becomes that mysterious thing that seems to only happen on TV. A wise and perfect father dispelling his wisdom to his offspring. Maybe he will meet Charles Engel over the rim. <laughs> An excellent episode and heart-wrenching to see Londo give his declaration of undying friendship. Uh, ten. Uh, ten. Both ten. Wow. wow. Nice. That's, that's high. I think that's high. Um, Why don't you tell us exactly how high? <laughs> <laughs> What's your science fiction rating, Pete? Um... You know, I thought for science fiction, this is wrap-up. Nothing really news introduced. I, I say it's a five, just middle of the road. Not bad. I want to be clear on that. Sometimes I've said a five and I meant like, oh man, that was terrible. But, you know, they had other aspects that were high. So, this is just middle of the road. I gave it a six. I, I, I'm with you. There, there's nothing particular standout science fiction about it. The... the um, I gave it a little bit of a bump for the Sheridan trapped in the, you know, the coolant leak chamber and getting out of it using the Minbari fighting pipe by putting it up against the glass and ejecting. I thought that was a cool idea. I thought that was creative. All right. It's okay. much stronger than Sheridan could ever have been himself. Uh, apparently. <laughs> apparently. Uh, for television, I'm going to give this a little bit of a six. Uh, I think it's tough to do a show wrap-up and expect people to understand what's going on unless you've had all of the you know the yeah. the ramp up to it there was good acting i enjoyed talon enjoyed jacar enjoyed londo um the linear stuff really brings it down though really does don't care for it uh i'm gonna give it a seven i i just think that there's a lot of sentiment here and and so you get some credit for that you know it's a it's the end of a series you know in a, in a lot of respects I'm going to give it a bump for that and take it to a 7. Okay. P5? 8.91. Moving on to our next episode, Sleeping in Light. Set in 2281, Sheridan's final days as old friends gather to celebrate. Uh, Alright, good episode. Again, um, this was filmed a, a full year ago. Yeah, so. end of season 4. Um, so that's, that's why Ivana was still in it. Yeah, I was about to say, that's, that's why we have her. Um, and she's become a general now. Yeah. Uh, apparently, you know, she, her military career took off. Uh, Veer is now emperor. Yep. Uh, which we knew was going to happen anyway. Uh, by this time, Londo and Jakar will have killed each other. Right. In their embrace around the neck. Um, and... Yeah, I thought it was interesting that Sheridan is now just wearing the Ranger's robes. Yep, yeah. He's Ranger 1 now. Yeah, uh, because he's declined to be the president anymore of the Interstellar Alliance, and Delenn's taken over, and so he needed to fill in as the head of the Rangers. Right. I thought he looked pretty good. I thought he looked pretty pretty dashing in them. Yeah. yeah. No, I also have to say, uh, that beard right there is the beard I've always wanted to pull off. That is... <laughs> If I could ever have... A, you know, I would take the gray hair if I could pull it off half as well as he does with the beard and everything. Oh, that's awesome. Wouldn't what you... a manly man. 
You don't want to have my beard? You can have your beard. I have no problems with your beard. But my but beard's Sheridan manly. Was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave you to your man crush then. <laughs> um, okay. So he's feeling his own death coming soon. Yep, he's been having the dreams, uh, you know, reliving those critical moments where yeah. Lorianne was kind of giving him some hints of what was to come. And, and so, you know, they decide, hey, let's uh, let's just bring everybody in together. We've been waiting on this time. Let's send out the announcements. So they send him out to Ivanova, to Garibaldi, to Veer, Franklin. Um, Zach. Zach. <laughs> I'm glad he didn't end up at the table. I, I don't feel like Zach should have been there. Well, I, you know, I, I think that was done intentionally. That, that it was it was written the right way. Okay. Uh, but one of my favorite moments of Babylon Five is watching the reaction of each of the individual characters as they get the letter and what their reaction is. You know, especially like I love Veer's reaction. You know, he's he's just having a good old time. Yeah. And the emperor. He's in the bed with the two women. And he's you know giggling and he's like oh what's up and then he sees the ranger and just dead serious and apologizes to the ranger I'm very sorry and you know and and they all come and they gather together yeah which was nice uh, I enjoyed the scene where they are toasting absent friends yeah that that, that felt nice I really I, I'm not sure if it's my favorite scene of the episode but that was really really moved me a bit. I, I thought that was nice. Okay. Um, let's see here. Oh, of course. They did a terrible job of makeup on Delenn. To make her look older? Yes. I Interesting. didn't care for that. And what they did with her hair as well... The, it, the like, old lady bun? <laughs> did not work. Interesting. You're the only person I've heard... The first person I've heard say that. Really? Yeah. I, I, okay, I'm, everybody who's listening out there right now, if you agree with me that Delenn's makeup was bad, send us a, a message so yeah, that we know. Facebook it or email it in. Because yeah. I, I, most of the people I've talked to that watched it actually feel like they did a pretty good job. I thought she looked terrible. She was supposed to look terrible. She's old. She's no, she's not old. She's not that old. <laughs> Remember, she's the long life yes. vixen. Alright. I, I, well, I don't I know think why I called her a vixen, but... Um. Okay, so getting to choose the day you die. Now, obviously, this lends itself into the weird, you know, euthanasia. You know, one taking your own life. I suppose you could. Anyone can choose. To, <laughs> this is going to be the day. Uh, I, I didn't want to go down that that route, but you live a long, full life. You're not going to take your own life. Would you want to get to choose the day, or would you just rather it be a surprise and just be no, like, huh, absolutely, I don't huh, choose okay, the day. I guess this is it. You know, there's a there's a country song that's pretty popular. It's called "Live Like You Were Dying." I thought you were going to say "Jesus Take the Wheel." <laughs> <laughs> this is the day, Jesus Take the Wheel. I'm done. <laughs> no, I, you know, as as much as I appreciate the sentiment that is in that song, I've always had trouble with people who adhere to that belief because there are people who who you know will espouse that you should live every day like it's your last okay here's the problem the things i'm going to do on my last day of life would be wildly inappropriate to do any other day of my life <laughs> i mean you know can you imagine getting up in the morning hugging your kids and saying i just want you to know no matter what happens daddy always loves you <laughs> 
what I mean? <laughs> the emotional scars that would give them. Like, the first time you decide to do that, the kids would be like, Mom? What's wrong with Dad? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Is you know, it would just... The, the, the things you say, if you knew that you were departing forever, are very, very different than the things you would say in casual conversation, no matter how much you love the person. It's just right. a different kind of, of interaction that you're going to have. And for that reason, I definitely would want to be able to choose, to know it was coming, and have that last moment, this thing where I say, okay, let me try to sum up all of my interactions with you over the years, and here's what I hope you got out of it. Yeah, I, I would. I would definitely be interested in that. I haven't made a decision on this one yet. Okay. There's a part of me that just wants it to just be a surprise, and you know, just like bam, <laughs> done, gone, or you know, happens in the you sleep. Want to be able to have one last podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I don't think you'd let me get the last word in. <laughs> well, if I knew you were dying, Pete. <laughs> I would give you the last word and then just edit it and post. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I don't have a family, so I don't really have that much of, you know, a feeling, a, a, a pull towards some people to, you know, want to give them some last message. Um, you know, I, I... Well, for me, it's even with you, though. I would like to have one last, you know, sit down with you and just say, hey, Pete, you know after all the years here's what you meant to me here's what our friendship meant to me things like that you know not just not just with my wife and kids but also with anybody who meant anything to me right to kind of you know just that parting message of hey i hope that you know this meant to you as much to you as it did to me and let me share with you what it did me yeah yeah I, I, I don't know. I, I, I've always said, you know, death isn't something you should fear. I mean, you shouldn't look forward to it either, but, you know, you, you shouldn't fear it. Um, but there's your a, life is not so miserable yeah. that you're looking forward to it. <laughs> just, just take me. Um, no, I, I, but I still, there's a bit of an unknown about it. Like, I'm good with this life. I like this life. I'm happy with this life. I don't really, I mean, I, I, I will tell everybody, hey, you know, this is just the next step. You're moving on to something else. There's going to be something more. Like, there's a part of me that's like, well, screw the something more. I want to eh, hang out here. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. I, I, I haven't made a decision. All right. Um, so, you kind of addressed the, talk, you know, saying goodbye to your loved one. I'm assuming that, uh, you know, that would be just as tear-filled of an experience as saying goodbye to me. <laughs> I, just, I, you know, I just assume I'm on the same level as Dee Dee. Well, I'm not going to cry in front of you because you make fun of me. <laughs> <laughs> I so would. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I hope that's not something you've ever thought about. What's that? You, your final farewell to Dee Dee. You know what you would say, what you would do. I think about it a lot. Do I, you not I, just not I, just Dee Dee though? My kids and and you and a couple other really close friends. I think just you know. I think that they, I mean we joked about it, but I really think that there is a huge difference between everybody else and Dee Dee. Yeah, yeah. Even your kids. I mean, yes, you care about your kids, but still, I bet you care about Dee Dee. There's something. There's yes, more of a connection sure, sure. there, and I just, I would hate to have someone be thinking about that all the time. Like you know, hey, what am I gonna say? I don't know that I'm thinking about it all the time, but I think about it every once in a while. Just and, and really, all I do is I just think about 
okay, if I had to give that speech today, have I done the right things and lived my life in such a way that the words are not just words? Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, I, I, I enjoy that. That I can say, okay, these events that took place, can I put them, you know, in the, in the framework of, you know, what it actually meant from my perspective without it having to be this huge morbid kind of, you know, oh, I'm on my deathbed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I would just, it's just there. there's some emotion that would go through you. I, I, I can't imagine that it would be this, you know, non-emotional event, you know, and I would get emotional thinking about that emotional event. <laughs> uh, matter of fact, let me just tell you a story. When I was uh, serving as a missionary in Scotland, there were like a few times where, I mean, and looking back, these were really like weird, morbid thoughts. But I used to think, ah, oh, you know, what if mom or dad died? <laughs> you know, I thought, you know, what if I got to give their eulogy? You know, what would I say? I would write, and I did it multiple times. I didn't actually write it out, but in my mind, like, I gave the eulogy for their funerals. Like, a few times. And I... I, I've stopped doing that. <laughs> I don't know why I was doing it then, because it wasn't like I, you know, they were in, I mean, they're more liable to die now than they were really back then, the, the, you know, 12, 15 years ago. So, anyway. My mom has given all of her kids letters that are marked, do not open until I'm gone. Oh, she's already given them to you? When I was like 12. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. Here's Look, the just take this now. And every couple of years, she'll ask me, do you still have that letter? You know where that letter is? I'm like, yeah. She says, you know, don't, don't lose it. Don't, don't open it yet, but don't lose it. When I'm, when I'm dead, read it. <laughs> It'd be funny is if she ever has to ask for one of them back. Like she gets really annoyed at one of them. Like you know, you are just pissing me off. No, I need to amend that yeah, letter. Give, give it that back. Letter back. Give it back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, back when you were still a twelve-year-old kid, you know, you still hadn't done all of the really dumb things that you know your family had done. Um, I'm hoping it's like a share of IBM stock or something. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so Babylon 5 has become redundant, and it's going to get shut down. Um, and so, you know, Sheridan, he, he takes off, he, you know, he flies off the ship, stops in at Babylon 5 just to kind of say goodbye, and then decides, okay, let's, let's, let's keep going, let's go. got Coriana 6. Which is where the Shadow Planet was, right? It was the, it was where they faced off with the Vorlon and the Shadow. Oh, okay. And Morian, and they all went off to the Galactic Rim from there. Right. Okay. Okay. So they he he arrives. He shows up, and it's just like okay, I'm I'm done, and just kind of you know tells the computer stop telling me I'm dying right now. Thank you. I, I figured that out already. <laughs> it's too much noise. Turn it all off. <laughs> and he's just kind of slumping forward, and then the bright sparklies show up. Lorian's back. He says, "Who are you? What do you want? Why are you here? Where, Where are you going?" going? Um, and I liked uh, you know, th- th- that was nice uh, for him to do that. I-, I it suddenly dawned on me. We got the who are you? We got the what do you want? Where was the race that represented why are you here? And the other race that represented where are you going? Well, I I, I think that the point of the Shadow and Vorlon War is that they had taken one of those questions and zeroed in on it to the point where nothing else made sense. Like they, they and they had just taken these things out of context. And now we're finally getting the full context of what it is, the questions that we should be asking ourselves to guide our lives. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Uh, I 
I think one of the underlying stories is, look, broaden yourself. Don't, you know, narrow in on something so myopic, but definitely broaden yourself. But I still would have liked to know, you know, was it the... Uh, the human in the Minbar. <laughs> the human in the Minbar, right. No, they're supposed to be old races. Who was the one, uh, the big uh, rock one? <laughs> Zog? Zog. <laughs> Why couldn't the Zog be one of those? Zog could definitely be, why are you here? Zog! <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, Lorien returns. Sheridan dies in a ball of light. Then Babylon 5 blows up. And um, as far as I was concerned, Delenn's story, yeah, that's the, the saddest of them all. Just to, to see her alone okay. now. Yeah. She goes out every morning to, to watch, the sunrise. watch the sunrise in her mind with her, I, I her love spouse. that shot they do, though, of Sheridan. As they bring the camera around so uh-huh. that you can see the character of Sheridan sitting next to her. Yeah. Um, For her, he's always there yes. with her. And yeah. that's, that's, always, that's nice. Yeah. Got a question for you. Okay. So, in my mind, it, this was, you know, shades of um, Gandalf and Frodo on the the shores heading off into okay. the, was the Grey Havens. Grey Havens. Um, kind of like, you know, this all-powerful being is coming back to take this, you know, one heroic character. Like, hey, you've earned it. Come along with us. And do they ever, in any of the novels or anything that uh, Straczynski talks about, do they really get into what's beyond the, you know, the rim beyond, you know, white shores, if you will? No, they never, he never discusses what's beyond the galactic rim. Okay, okay. I think maybe on purpose to keep that vague as to say, look, there is something else out there. Whatever it it is to you. That's what it is. You know, specifically, the reason they come back for Sheridan, just to be clear, is because he's no longer human. He's not part of the same life cycle as the rest of humanity because he was touched so deeply by the Vorlon and then later by Lorien. His, not just his medical biology, but his metaphysical makeup have changed to the point where He's not going to pass on the same way humanity would, a normal human would. Right, yeah. I mean, the, that, that's true. I mean, the, the the fondling that those alien races did to him, it does. It definitely changed him. Yeah. I mean, we didn't really see it, but it's clear that there was something that was different about Sheridan from everybody else around him. Yeah. The, you know, the... The thing I wanted to end with here, are you done? Do you have anything else? Uh, no, other than to say is, does Delenn get carted off to Valhalla or the Grey Havens no. or wherever? No, she doesn't go beyond the, the rim. rim. Dang it. What a gyp. She was just as awesome. But her and Sheridan probably meet in the place where no shadows fall. <laughs> Which I assume is beyond the rim. <laughs> <laughs> um the, the last thought I wanted to close with is just, I don't know if you noticed, who shut down Babylon 5. So as they're, as they're all saying goodbye to Babylon 5 and they're getting on the, the lift, there's a maintenance worker that comes through and he throws yeah. the big switch. Uh-huh. That's J. Michael Straczynski. Oh, okay, cool. I didn't know that. No. I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned that. I actually felt a little weird, like, because they see everybody go up in the elevator and then there's this one guy here and then they show the ship leaving and then, I'm like... Wait, did they leave that poor worker on there? Like, he had to blow it up inside? You know? We couldn't get him up there. 
I, you know, I have to think, uh, you know, from the standpoint of Straczynski's life, that must have been a really powerful moment for him. You know, because this was so much, it was such a significant portion of his life was dumped into this show. He, he wrote at the end of the, of the book series, he says, you know, so after he did Babylon 5, of course he went and did Crusade. He also did a couple made-for-TV movies that continued on after uh-huh. uh, Babylon 5 was over. And then he, he, you know, he proceeded to go to conventions, fan conventions, and he wrote these script books, which he finished the script books in 2008, which is another 10 years after the end of <laughs> the series of Babylon 5. And you know, he wrote in here, he says, that, you know, as I'm writing the last words in this script book series, you have to realize, a full quarter of my life has been spent involved in Babylon 5. And it would it just would be a very emotional powerful emotional moment for him to, you know, kind of wrap it all up and say, "Okay, this is this is it. This is, you know, the culmination of what I have done with my career to this point." Mm-hmm. Because he'd written some science fiction and stuff, but this is clearly Straczynski's kind of his big moment in in, in history, his 15 minutes, if you will. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. I think if people were to think about Straczynski, they would think more of Babylon 5 than they would of any of the really the other stuff that yeah. he's done. No, Even though it's been some really good stuff. Yeah, nobody, nobody's saying, oh yeah, Straczynski, creator of Changeling. Or Straczynski, <laughs> writer of Thor. You know, <laughs> it's just not happening. <laughs> okay, let's go to emails then. Yeah. Okay, we've got um, uh, listener SpongeBob writing on behalf of or using Bob's email. It was good to see the whole gang again, especially Susan. But let's be honest, the best bit of the whole show is the middle where he says goodnight to Delenn. Even rewatching it to comment for this email has left me bawling and a complete wreck. <laughs> it was a perfectly written episode and perfect ending. I think part of the reason for not commenting for so long has has to be the utter devastation left by the ending of Babylon 5. I can sympathize uh, completely with all those who cling to rumors that it will come back one day, that it must come back one day, and that it most certainly will come back one day. We can only hope. Season 5 did drag a bit, but the ending was great, and dare I say it, I loved the movies. At some point in the future, probably to Bob's horror, I would like to rewatch all of Babby 5. Thanks, guys, for introducing me to it, but reality calls and rather stamps his feet and complains loudly that he wants to go to the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> all the best and with much love, SpongeBob. P.S. I love Delenn's clothes. One day, perhaps, I will have a replica of one of her outfits. Hint, hint, Bob. Maybe you should do something for you know, her. I, I think Bob's a little old to be stamping his feet and complaining loudly that he wants to go to the grocery store. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, okay, Brainy Smurf. He says, uh, Light sleep. To quote Aaron, uh, Hmm. Meh. <laughs> so Veer was not gay after all. <laughs> At least Brainy's version has a better treatment of Lanier's character. And so, here's what really happens. Following his Day of the Dead, he commits the one act he thought he could never do. He leaves. With his ranger training and his new traveling companion, Morden, 
Lanier continues to roam the galaxy as a rogue, oblong, shark-wandering warrior monk. He travels alone, save the constant discussion provided by the image of Morden, whom only Lanier sees and converses with. Lanier never tries to kill the box, and he has many epic adventures with his hallucination buddy. And sometimes he hangs out with Talon. That would be a great spinoff. It would be like Kung Fu in space with Morton. I knew he's going there. <laughs> I love the part about the Pokmara singing. Those were some fun aliens eating garbage and jamming. Sounds familiar. Sci-Fi 7, TV 7. So, okay. Joey, your science fiction. Uh, for science fiction, I give this an 8. I think that... Uh, you know, there's some really good stuff in here, especially when we see the end of Sheridan's life and things like that. I, I'm giving it an eight. I, I think it's the, really the ending there with um, Lorian that is really provides the the real sci-fi depth for me. The rest of it is just exposition and setting up and ending. You know, what have you? Sure. Not not bad. Not but not bad at all. I was close to giving it an eight. Solid, solid seven for me. Okay. For TV, Joey? Uh, for TV, I'm giving it a 7 as well. Uh, you know, it's... Uh, the only problem with this episode is I feel it's a bit of an anti-climax from, from where we just left with Objects at Rest. Again, because it right. was filmed a year earlier and we didn't they didn't know where they would be at the end of Season 5. Or if they were even going to have one. Right. And and so I can, I can appreciate it would have been difficult to make it not that way, <laughs> given the situation that they were in. Yeah, but I, I, I do have to I do have to give it a hit. It comes down to a seven for me because it is an anticlimax. We've just seen two full episodes of goodbyes, and now here's the third episode of goodbyes. Yeah, I, I agree with that. The, the tough part is, I mean, we the scene with Garibaldi saying, oh, "John and I, we had our troubles, but in the end, he was a great guy." It's like, well, that. I mean that gels that, out. that gels really well with end of season four and right. what's going on, and so we take Garibaldi on another arc. It didn't fit that super well for me, but as a whole, I really enjoyed the acting. It's tough because we don't know too much about these characters if we're sitting someone down to watch this for the first time, but the actors yeah. did a good job. The writing was good. This was a good wrap up. I had originally thought six, but you know what? I, I think I'm going to give this a solid seven as well. I, I think, in, in general, this was very good. The uh, P5 rating on this one is 9.34. Moving on to season wrap-up. All right. Uh, okay. Um, I'm just going to say it. This may have been my least favorite season. Okay. As bad as season one as was. Season one was. <laughs> we had so much good stuff, and then to just fall so flat in so many different places, uh, it's a close tie. It really is close, but I think I'd have to make five my worst. Okay. So, I, but, I don't know about you. The, the last few episodes of season five are good enough to redeem the season as a whole. For it my, does. For it, it, it does help. It, it's true. And there were some good episodes. And, sure and I, just, I just don't see a lot in season one that redeems it as a season. So, <laughs> so season five is pretty bad, but I, I'm still going to put season one worse. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, should we just do some uh, listener emails to yeah, begin? absolutely. Okay. We'll go with Brainy Smurf first. He says, bit part, the regent. Okay. Favorite character, Talon. I don't know why that's his favorite character from, from season, season five. five. 
he wasn't hardly in there. <laughs> well, he did make the... Didn't he say early in his email how the character of Talon made such an impact even though he's only in it just for a few moments That's here true. and there? That's true. Most hated character? Lanier. Most boring character ever? Garibaldi. <laughs> Biggest... Where the hell did that guy go? Zog! <laughs> <laughs> he went to the rim. Don't you remember? That's where he went to. Uh, worst villain? Byron? Hot chick. Number one was looking better, I guess. Funniest moment. The entrance of strobe-like Skeletor Drock dude from last season being explained by Aaron... As the Drock who had to ride the short bus and constantly wear a helmet because he was, quote, special. <laughs> Best episode, Paragon. The Paragon, the Paragon of Animals. animals. Yep. Mm, interesting. Didn't even make my list. That it didn't one. make my list either. I do like the episode, but it didn't make my top five. Worst episode, pick one. <laughs> Paragon. Uh, best character arc. Zog. <laughs> wasn't even in this it one. Wasn't in the season at all. I don't know. Worst character walkabout. <laughs> Captain Lockley. Her character suffers from JMS's failure to explain why everyone who supported Clark and murdering civilians would have had a good or at least an acceptable reason for doing so. Her backstory is sleep-inducing, and then she crawls through an air duct. I have to agree with him on that okay. one. Best character moment, Talon accepting the torch from Jakar. Best Pete moment, watching Joey's best moment. <laughs> best Joey moment, the snaky drock dance. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I'm wondering if he's saying he's just like, he, he knows us so well at this point that he's visualizing these moments. <laughs> so I'm doing my snaky jock dance. <laughs> I never want to see that again. Uh, okay. Uh, my friend John Madsen, he sent in an email that uh, I didn't see till like we started up the series stuff. So this, uh, he, he wants to talk about sleeping in light. Um, he says, I remember when Babylon 5 first went to air, and somehow, this was before the pre-hype on the internet and everything, so I don't even know how I had access to this interview, I read the creator saying that he has the next five years planned out, that he knows exactly what happens in the final ten minutes. Who says what and who does what? I remember thinking how interesting the idea sounded, but that there was no way I was going to commit myself to five years on a show. At the time, I figured sometime in the future, I'll have to find an excuse to watch everything. Anyway, somehow, the way he said it made it sound at the time, I thought the final minutes of the show would be the climax of a huge mystery and adventure and wouldn't be a drawn-out funeral fest. It's been real fun, though. Uh, remind me to send in my 50 unanswered questions about Babylon 5 next week. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I would be happy to go over that because I'm sure there's a bunch of I'll those. I'll have to find my Asked and Answered volumes, which I haven't brought with me in a while. Yeah, that's true. Let's that's true. Uh, okay. I, I don't have a wall to look on to tell me. Pete, your favorite bit part. Favorite bit part. I go first. I, it has to be the Centauri region for me. 
Okay. He, that guy is... That actor was super. He played the effeminate, the... Um, you know, the guy who's like scared of power and then gets into power and then he's, you know, become a puppet for the, the Drock and the, the way that he never looks at anyone and just, uh, you know, it, I loved that. He stole the show for me. Okay. I, I kind of thought of him, but I felt like he was a little too much of a recurring character for me to call him a bit part. But then I end up choosing Talon, which isn't any less of a recurring character. Yeah. Yep. So I, I don't know. I, I, it, you made a good choice, but I also think Talon was an excellent bit. The bit reason I, I like the character of Talon, but I don't think the actor really brings anything to the role. But that's partly because the role is a bit... Stoicism. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there, there's not much to bring to it, yeah. other than I will stand quietly, and menacingly. <laughs> All right, Joey, your most hated character. Uh, it has to be Captain Lockley. Really? Do not like Captain Lockley. Never cared for the character. Uh, probably some of it is a continuation of when I first watched the show, and I was like, this should be Ivanova! What the heck? <laughs> you people? Uh, I have to go with Byron. Hmm. I hated seeing that guy on there and his wavy hair and <laughs> the fact that he was a telepath who constantly wanted to talk with other telepaths. Uh, I, I just I did not care for him at all. Okay, how about your favorite villain? Uh, you know there wasn't too much there, so I'm just gonna go with the standby of Bester. Okay, I mean, yeah, how can you complain about Bester? He, he's yeah. constantly a bad guy and good at being bad. <laughs> so I liked him. Uh, you know, I I considered putting Byron in in this category, <laughs> uh, but I'm gonna end up going with Shivkala. <laughs> Who is that? That's the name of the Drock. Oh, he has a name. Spawn of the Keepers. Yes. Okay. Now, is that the uh, the shaky Drock? No, no or... that's the one that has that made the Keepers that <laughs> okay take over the Regent and Lana Malari. Okay. All right. Um, okay. Your favorite hot chick? Can I say Garibaldi's daughter? <laughs> or is she too young? <laughs> um, I don't know how old she's supposed to be at that point. Let's say eighteen. Okay, eighteen. I'm gonna go with Garibaldi's daughter. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I am going to have to say, I first had a question mark on there because I was thinking, crap, I mean, once again, we have, as my friend John Madsen likes to call it, no hot chick budget yeah. at all. But the young Psychor girl okay, that, uh, you know, hooked up with uh, um, uh, Bester in that episode, I mean, aside from the, uh, the fact that she, you know, threw herself at him, that was a little weird, but still, she was attractive, and she had that crazy side of her, it's like... Oh yes, it was. To, uh, I'll go take and throw the person out the airlock right now. You know that's. I guess intrigues me a bit. I don't know. <laughs> You're why. into the dark chicks. Huh? I, I guess I am. Uh, you know, I, I if you if you if we decided that Garibaldi's daughter was too young, I was going to say Lockley because she's a handsome woman. I mean, Tracy Scoggins is not hard okay. on the eyes. Yeah, it didn't do anything for me, but okay. Okay. Uh, whose turn are we on? Well, I just said it. So you. Okay. Oh I yeah. Go Funniest next. moment, Pete. Alright, it is for me, and this wasn't meant to be funny, but I cannot help but laugh. <laughs> In the episode Secrets of the Soul, Zach coming around the corner just as Byron is, you know, holding this guy who's dead, and Zach comes around the corner and says, Freeze! <laughs> 
I cannot help but laugh at that scene. It is just so ridiculous <laughs> that, you know, it's the, you know, perfect setup. Yeah. And literally, Zach comes, you know, it has to be the guy who's in charge of security, not so. It's Zach. Freeze! <laughs> oh my gosh, that is so goofy funny for me. What about you? I'm going to go with, uh, just in general, any of Jakar's interactions with the minister at the Centauri court. Uh, especially the one where, you know, the, the minister is saying to Londo, you know, I, I, I feel sorry for you that he has to follow you everywhere. And Jakar responds, like, well, thank you for your sympathy. It, it's a it's a trial, but I've grown used to it. <laughs> yeah, and that's one of those signs. It's intended comedy, yes. and it was. It was reasonable. It was really, yeah, it was was reasonable. Okay, what about your five hated episodes? Okay, number five is the Cora's mother, the Cora's father. Oh, really? I, I think this may have been a good idea, but season five was the wrong time to do it. If you'd done oh. it in season three or four, maybe. You know, when, and we start to understand Bester from a little bit. But at this point, season five, we should be seeing the wrap up of Babylon Five. I don't care about Psychor at this point. I don't want to see it. Hmm, okay. Um, number four is Learning Curve. Okay. All right. Um, I agree with you on that. I, I didn't make any notes as to why, but it was it was pretty bad. It, well, it's that whole telepath arc that we have to go. There's like three or four episodes all in a row. Where it was just like, you just, it was vomit inducing nearly. <laughs> so I, I don't think you have to explain anything okay. more than that. Uh, number three is Phoenix Rising. Okay, yep, that's deserving. Yeah. Uh, number two, The Ragged Edge. And number one is Secrets of the Soul. <laughs> the only thing I've ever given a zero to. This is <laughs> awful, awful television. <laughs> Uh, okay, Secret of the Soul was on my list, but it didn't make top five. Wow. Okay. Uh, it was definitely bad. It was <laughs> terrible. <laughs> uh, okay, for me, number five is Strange Relations. Okay. Didn't care for it. Number four, I have the same as you, Learning Curve, uh, because well, it's just bad. Uh, three, In the Kingdom of the Blind. Okay. Uh, number two, A Tragedy of Telepaths. And then number one is Phoenix Rising. I okay. hated Phoenix Rising. That was dreadful. That was really just horrendous stuff. Uh, I did have Tragedy of Telepaths. It was it was my number six entry. So. Oh, okay. Okay, Pete, your top five. Okay, uh, top five. I think um, that we had, like, even though I, I didn't care for this episode i think we still had some really good stuff in this season so i i ended up coming up with six um so I hate you so bad i what i could I, have done six i'm not gonna tell five. you what the six is oh, okay. i'm just saying i came up with six that i actually I liked give and enjoyed seeing <laughs> no uh number five for me is day of the dead i loved it i thought that was a great concept yeah. and i don't think I, well, to my knowledge, I don't think anybody had done that yet, or maybe since then. And I, yeah, they goofed up a couple of things, and you know, it was clunky with the the Lockley story. I would have loved to have seen them expand the Morden thing, you know, when yeah. he shows up with Lanier. Uh, but it was a great concept. Really enjoyed that. Number four is a view from the gallery. Okay, uh, that is just one that I remember, and I. I Maybe it's not the greatest thing around, but I remember it, and I, 
kind of look forward to seeing it because I liked what those two insignificant characters were doing throughout the the whole show. I I, I thought it was good. All right. Number three, Sleeping in Light. Uh, not my favorite, okay. but still, I mean, it was a good story and it was very moving. I didn't cry, but I definitely did get a little teary, a little emotional with all of the goodbyes that those two, that Sheridan and Delenn have. It's, it's moving. Number two for me, and number two and number one really could have gone back and forth. For me, I put number two, Movements of Fire and Shadow, and then number one was The Fall of Centauri Prime. Okay. Uh, and I think I chose the Centauri Prime stuff because, I mean, that's Londo. He's just sort of like, crap. All right, yeah, I, I'm going to do it. I'll take it on the chin for everybody here. It's terrible. I don't want to do it, but I, I feel like I must do it. Okay. Okay, Joey, for you. Uh, good list, by the way. I, we're going to have a lot of overlap here. Good. I'm with you number five, Day of the Dead. It's a good, okay. solid episode. Good. I, I, I couldn't remember if you, if you like hadn't liked it. I knew some people who sent in comments were like, this is terrible, You know, don't like it. I couldn't remember what you thought. I, I like the way you put it. That it did have some mechanical problems, uh-huh. but the concept was was brilliant enough, and the goods were good enough that it, it still makes the list. Really. Yeah. Number four is the fall of Centauri Prime. Mm. Uh, you know, okay. as you say, the, the kind of the redemption, I and mean, we joked about it being the fall of Londo Malari, but it really is. It's it is the culmination of Londo's growth as a person. Uh, a view from the gallery for the same reasons you did. I love Day in the Life episodes as well. Yeah. I, I just I like them. They're and, good. And the the idea of saying, you know what, let's actually look at what it's like for the average guy and he sees all this you know, these people running past him and oh they're always in a hurry, what's so qualified important. I also really like the joke of what does this thing do? Oh, I, <laughs> I enjoyed that. Golly. Um so let's see, number two for me. Wait, no, so it should be number three, right? So I have number five is Day of the Dead. Number four is Fall of Centauri Prime. Number three is A View from the Gallery. Oh, okay, sorry. Number two is Objects at Rest. Uh, uh, you know, we didn't yeah. talk about this at all, actually. I, I kept meaning to mention it, but it never felt like the right time to say it. So I'm going to put it in here. Objects in Motion and Objects at Rest are actually references to Newtonian motion. Yep. We have in Objects in Motion, we have... All these characters who are about to go start some new phase of their life. They're, they're changing. They're going into motion of something that they've never done before. You know, Garibaldi gets married and Lita and Jakar go off, uh, you know, to traipse about the galaxy and do whatever they're going to do. The objects at rest is more about characters settling into what they were always meant to be. So they are kind of... I don't want to say that they're done development-wise, but, but they know now what they are at a fundamental level and they fulfill that whereas Objects in Motion is about characters who are still trying to figure out what they are or who they are and how they fit in yeah I, I, I get what you're going with that but I, I just for me the episode just became more about okay everybody see you later yeah we're going on and there was no they didn't play up what you are talking about right there what you talk about is interesting is nice and what got portrayed for me didn't Okay, and then number one for me is sleeping in light. Yeah, I, I expected that. It, it, it's so emotional to watch that episode. Uh, you know, I, I won't I won't say that I cried, but like you, I was certainly moved emotionally. And because I do love Babylon Five so much, and every time I hit that episode, it's kind of like 
reliving that mo first moment for me of oh, this is the end of this story. I'm saying goodbye to these characters that I've hung on to for five years. And as a teenager, in a lot of ways, the characters on Babylon 5 were more real to me than anyone else in my life. <laughs> right. And so it was like saying goodbye to very, very dear friends and knowing that I wouldn't see them again for a while, if yeah. ever. So for me, uh, Sleeping in Light has a very strong emotional bond. I, ex I expected that from you. Okay, uh, your favorite moment. I know you had some trouble choosing this. I did. I, I felt like there were a lot to choose from. You have a lot of great Jakar stuff. We have the Londo stuff that's really good. Uh -huh. You have everyone toasting to, you know... The forgotten the friends. The fallen friends yeah. there at the end. Um, you have Sheridan and and Delenn saying goodbye to each other. But at the end, I am going to land on, to me, the, the moment that sums up Babylon 5. And that when I watch it, I'm like, this is why I watched the whole thing. Is Sheridan at Coriana 6... And Lorian comes and says, Hey, I'm here. We've been waiting for you. Who are you? What do you want? Where are you going? Why are you here? These questions that really define the human journey as a whole. And asking them in the context of a science fiction television show meant so much to me as a teenager. I'm going to go with that one. Who are you? What do you want? Why are you here? Where are you going? Lorian. Did you think we had forgotten you? We have been waiting for you. Beyond the rim. Yes. There's... so much I still don't understand. As it should be. Can I come back? No. This journey has ended. Another begins. Time to rest now. There were a couple of good ones in here that I, I, I didn't have as tough a time as you did, um, but I think probably it ends up being the uh, the Byron Lovin, where <laughs> everybody is gathered around, we sing a hymn, and we all be no. <laughs> That would be terrible. No one should ever think that is their favorite moment. <laughs> Unless it's their favorite funniest moment, then, then that's okay, I guess. Uh, it is for me when Jakar forgives Londo. Mm. I talked about it in in last week's podcast. For me, that is moving. Yeah. To uh, you know, Jakar and Londo have been these you know guys that butt heads throughout the whole thing, but the relationship that they come to at the end, you know, it's it's moving to have Jakar 
tell Londo in that moment of you know despair for him, look, okay, let's screw that. I'm not going to redo it. Let, let's just listen to it right now. Molari. Understand that I can never forgive your people for what they did to my world. My people can never forgive your people. But I can forgive. That's moving, you know, to, to give someone that that feeling to say, I forgive you. He, Jakar doesn't know what Londo's about to take on, but Londo does, and I think it means a lot to Londo. Yeah. For, for well, sure. and, and for Jakar, who knows at a very fundamental level exactly the level of guilt that Londo bears for all of this, mm-hmm. that is a huge deal. I agree. It's a good choice. Yeah. Um, okay, well, we're going to have a series wrap-up coming up, so really, you guys, send in some things. We want to hear what you guys have to say. As a special treat, uh, in next week's podcast, we will be covering the J. Michael Straczynski memo describing the original five-year arc, how Babylon 5 would have gone had Sinclair remained the commanding officer. Okay, that might answer one of John's 50 questions. <laughs> I hope it answers a few of them. <laughs> Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of The Homestarmy Presents Trek West 5. We hope that you've learned something, had some laughs, and we always invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. Or you can tweet us at hashtag trekwest5, or call and leave us a voicemail at 801-788-4913. So, until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And thanks for listening.